Hello and welcome to this week's Scottish Educators Connect podcast with me, Anita. And me, James. James! Hiya, pal! Hi! It's good to be back. It's been a while. Well, yes, I did think that when I just heard um, you're here with this week's Scottish Educators Connect (laughs) podcast. We have had a little bit of a hiatus in terms of the podcast front, I suppose, but the new Scottish Educators Connect book club has been definitely keeping us busy in amongst remote learning and back to everything else as well. So, yeah, but it's great to be back for this one. Definitely. I'm so glad to be back on the podcast and also back in the classroom with my tiny tots. James, how's work going this term? Answers on a postcard? No, it's going really, really well. um, I'm just bowled over by the children, the families and the staff team with us. Just everything that they have put in place in order to support learning remotely. And then just last week, welcoming back our our youngest kids back into early learning and childcare setting in our school and continuing all of that momentum for those children that are learning remotely at home as well. It's, It's been no mean feat. How about yourself? Oh, do you know, just being back in the classroom with my primary ones, playing and learning. And, you know, the thing that I am most impressed with is everything that they learned through remote learning over the lockdown period. Literally every single one of them have retained it and they're using it. And it's just a testament to parents everywhere and how they're supporting their kids at home. It's it's really amazing. That sounds fabulous. Well done. So this podcast, uh, we're delighted to be back recording again, as we said, and this time we've returned to a theme that we explored briefly last year, and that is the theme of childhood poverty. That's right. And our first book club of this year, we are joined by nearly 60 educators and health professionals from across Scotland as we explore Professor Morag Trainer's child poverty aspiring to survive. Um, We've already interviewed Professor Morag for our podcast, which inspired us to explore this topic further. Um, And I've just thrived from hearing the discussions and learning taking place in the book club. Yeah, me too, Anita. I think the thing with this one is we've got such large numbers and we're able to structure it in a way where we've got small group conversations, where we've got larger group conversations that are happening. But this book has been a page turner for me and week to week, it's great for you and I to have these conversations around about the key learning that we're taking from the book, both personally and professionally. And today we're continuing to deepen our understanding of childhood poverty in Scotland as we speak to the wonderful Sarah from CPAG Scotland. Hello there, Sarah. Hello. Hi, Sarah, and thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and what are your interests? Okay. well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. My name is Sarah Spencer. Um, I work for Child Poverty Action Group in Scotland um, and I'm the Cost of the School Day project manager there. Um, Been there for about six years or so. Um, Wow. uh, I know, yes, time flies. Um, (laughs) We're having fun. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I suppose before that, I've I've always sort of worked in children and young people's organisations or equalities organisations, quite often to do with poverty and education and related things. So 
Yes, uh, my interests. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> currently, I'm trying to think if I've got any time for them at the moment. I'm, I'm currently, <laughs> along with lots of other people, uh, sort of juggling work and helping with remote learning with uh, with my um, kids. So I'm even more in awe of teachers than than I usually am, <laughs> seeing <laughs> seeing everything that goes into it. Um, I've, I've actually got one at home as well. My husband's a teacher, so. All of my days are soundtracked by lots of uh, <laughs> lessons and check-ins and recordings and things on Teams and in the other room. So, so yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> if your husband is anything um, like me, then I'm sure you will be much like my partner, which is that she thinks that teachers love to talk about teaching, and it's all we talk about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I can't identify yet. I suppose we've made a podcast of it, Anita. So uh, you guys really like it. Yep. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. You, of course, mentioned that you work with the Child Poverty Action Group Scotland. (laughs) And can you tell us a bit about who CPAG is and Mm -hmm. what does the organisation do? Um, yeah, so we have um, been around since um, 1965. Um, wow! In the UK, yeah, or up here in Scotland um, since 1999 with, um, oh. with devolution. So I suppose really broadly, um, we work to sort of try and understand what causes poverty um, and the impact it has on children's lives. Um, we try to design and promote solutions to that. So ways that poverty can be prevented and, and solved. Um, I think we work on the basis that poverty isn't inevitable in, in any way, shape or form. Um, so it's caused by things like low wages, inadequate benefits, childcare costs, all of these kind of structural things. So we campaign for policy and legislative changes that will help to prevent poverty um, and lift children and families out of poverty. Um, I think we've got various different bits and bobs. I won't, I won't sort of uh, bore you with everything that we do, but um, we've got lots of very smart welfare rights experts who... Um, advise people who are working on the front line um, um, with uh, with people claiming um, benefits. Um, and um, we sort of write the big welfare rights handbook that advisors use, run an advice line, do lots of training for advisors as well. Um, we um, also do... Um, a, um, when there are legal cases to be pursued, um, when um, there are there are sort of there's a problem with the social security system that's affecting a lot of families, then, then we'll kind of take cases on that. Um, and what I do, in amongst all of that, I, I do none of those things actually. Um, I, I work on um, the cost of the school day project up here in Scotland. Um, We've um, recently expanded that work to England and Wales, but I'm I'm responsible for things up here. Um, and cost of the school day, if, if folk haven't heard of it before, um, it's all about working with school communities to understand where financial barriers lie um, across the school day and then designing solutions which help to reduce costs and make sure that, that everyone's able to take part equally. Um, so we 
are um, we do lots of various bits and bobs, um, awareness raising, advice, support, training, resources. Um, and we also do direct work in schools as well. We're, we're, um, we've got practitioners up in Murray at the moment um, doing direct work with children and parents and staff in schools or online at the moment, hopefully face to face at some mm-hmm. point in the near future. Yep. <sighs> I used to work in the same office as the team in Murray, so um, oh, yeah, no it was way. great to hear. Great to oh. hear about some of the work that they were doing in the schools at that time. Yeah, oh, good. I'll say hello from you. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I'm always um, so interested in the work that goes into tackling poverty, and my interest comes from a very personal early childhood experiences of living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, And even though I'm very interested, I am always disheartened at the necessity of organisations like CPAG Scotland. In our book club, we've been learning about childhood poverty by exploring Professor Morag Trainer's book. But can you give us a summary of poverty in childhood in Scotland today? Um, That's a big question. (laughs) Um, um, So I, I think... I think we're at a really critical time at the moment um, if, if we're thinking about poverty and child poverty in, in particular. Um, I suppose thinking before COVID, um, you know, almost a quarter of all children in Scotland are living in poverty, um, which is just a phenomenal figure when you think about it, isn't it? Around about 230,000 um, children and young people. Um and you know, I'd, I'm I'm guessing that that you know, I don't need to sort of um, go on too much or or tell you too much um, uh, as as members of this book group, um, but also as people working in schools, and um, don't need to tell you too much about the sort of hugely damaging impact that has um, that poverty has on pretty much every aspect of children's lives. Um, poverty affects where children live, their health, their relationships, how they feel about themselves. It affects what they have, what they can do, future prospects. So, you know, it's it's really, really critical. Um, and and it's it's you know all too common, I suppose. But that that um that I suppose was the situation pre-COVID. Um, I think with COVID over the last year or so, um the, the sort of landscape has changed a wee bit because of that. Um, people who were struggling financially before, um, so maybe people without savings or, or perhaps in low paid or insecure work, um, they've become even more vulnerable because of the financial impact of COVID. Um, there's been, um, <clears throat> I think, around about nine million people across the UK furloughed for some proportion of time. Um, and there's been a doubling in, in new universal credit claims um, over this time as well. So millions of people needing to fall back on that. Um, so we're, we're in really quite a, a scary place at the moment um, but because of what's been happening um, with COVID. Um, and it's forecast that, you know, that ridiculous sort of uh, figure of, of um, 24% of children living in poverty. It's forecast that thousands more children um, are going to be pushed into that. Um, and I suppose, you know, unsurprisingly, you know, that, that means that 
families are having to cut back on essentials, um, having to borrow money, um, you know, are, are getting into debt with things like rent or, or other bills. And it's also, you know, taken a huge impact on, on people's mental health. Um, you know, the pressure and the anxiety all around all of this is just huge. And I think for families who are dealing with all of that day in, day out anyway, that pressure has become even more so. And there's a whole new lot of families who were maybe fine before, but who aren't now. Um, so that's, that's that's all quite grim. Um, I think there are um, there is sort of cause for hope, though. I, I think that there are a few things where, you know, in Scotland, we've got a Child Poverty Act, um, which sort of sounds quite dull and legislative and, you know, so what? But what it means is that there are targets for reducing child poverty um, from, from now until 2030. Um, COVID means those targets are likely have take, to have taken a hit and that we'll need extra action. Um, but I think there's that sort of shared understanding, at least, that child poverty is real and it's damaging and there are targets to work to. Um, that, that isn't the case in other, other countries in the UK. Um, and we know that increasing family incomes as well um, really helps to improve children's outcomes. And we've seen lots of really welcome things recently to help boost um, family incomes. Um, things like the Scottish Child Payment. Um, there's a cross-party commitment to free meals for all P1s to 7s, um, which is great because, you know, you'll know there are um, lots of children and young people below the poverty line who aren't eligible for free meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder, uh, you know, there's there's various things like that that I think still give us a wee bit of hope. But I wonder if there's something else quite interesting about this time, which is a bit of a wider awareness from people that anyone can fall into financial difficulties. Um, I think COVID's brought that really close to home when it maybe wasn't before. Um, You know, so you might not be affected, but the guy next door has lost his job or, you know, your sister's struggling on furlough. Um, You know, I, I think there's just that wider awareness that this isn't too far away from any of our front doors. Um, And I hope that that helps to build empathy and understanding and um, I suppose support for measures to help um, people living on low incomes right right now and in the future as well. Um, So yeah, it's a long answer. Yeah. (laughs) No, thank you, Sarah. And what a story it is to tell. And, And this week in the book group, we're talking about uh, Morag's chapter around about in and out of work and mm. it just highlights a lot of those points that you talk around about that at any point um, it can be that one situation that brings you into that situation of poverty or out of that in terms of mm-hmm. the other way that you described as well and the extent of poverty in childhood no less is something which needs to be talked about more openly and I would agree I think that the current circumstances in which many folks are living under um, with the pandemic will hopefully draw out some of those more conversations Mm -hmm. Um, and in our book group many of the participants have been discussing the conflation of poverty and parenting, Mm -hmm. uh, poverty and vulnerability and then that 
concept of the perceptions of poverty. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about these conflations and the challenges that they cause. Yeah, I, I think I think that conflation is really interesting um, just because it's it's sort of it's so pervasive and it goes without being questioned a lot of the time. Um, so I think, you know, for families who are on low incomes, the main problem for those families is that they're on low incomes. It's it's not it's about not having an adequate income. That's that's the the bottom line of it. It's it's when the resources coming into your house aren't enough to be, meet your basic needs. Um, you know, it's when you don't have enough money to do and to have the same things as everyone else. So that's that's the bottom line of it. And we know that that sort of inadequate income. That's driven by structural things, you know, low low wages, uh, lack of access to appropriate jobs and adequate benefits and so on. Um, you know, really structural things like that. But the perceptions that are out there are, um, you know, according to the media or, or just some of the messages and the, the stereotypes that are out there are around, you know, oh, being lazy or not being bright enough or aspiring enough to make the most of your education or getting a job or you're you know, maybe scrounging and playing the systems the system um or it becomes about you know chaotic families or i don't know obesity or low aspirations or all of these different sort of things um and so some of the consequences of poverty for a minority of families become somehow true for everyone and you know even you know even if you look at the numbers i mean there's what 230,000 odd children in poverty in Scotland and you know is every single one of their families um you know chaotic and feckless and all of the other stereotypes that are out there it's it's just a nonsense kind of common sense wise isn't it um but i think what all of those things what all of those stereotypes and perceptions and so on um what i think they have in common is that they're they're all about the individual um rather than looking at what holds people back and makes these really difficult situations um there can be an uncomfortable thing i think where everyone on a low income is classed as vulnerable um poverty increases the risk of some vulnerabilities um of, of course it does um that, that's that's a just reality but i think sometimes for professionals um working with children and families there can be a wee bit of a shorthand that develops you know um talking about the vulnerable ones the disadvantaged um mm-hmm. your pef kids the smd ones um you know the insert the name of your local deprived area kids you know um and um that's that sort of shorthand is is kind of just a generalization about what is a really diverse group of of people on low incomes and not a fixed group as as you said james about you know people moving in and out of of poverty um so it doesn't take away, you know, none of those terms take away from the fact that people are wanting to help and do something. Um, but I guess language is important. Um, I think there are lots of families on low incomes who aren't vulnerable and who are 
struggling financially because they don't have enough money, um, but they're doing okay. And then they get called vulnerable. And then there's loads of implications there, isn't there? Um, yeah. And I, I think the um, what those perceptions of poverty and that kind of conflation of poverty and vulnerability means is um, there are a couple of sort of risky things with that. Um, the first is believe in that stuff um, and, and kind of the, the judgment of families on low incomes. And that can be a judgment that's actually real um, or it can be the feed of judgment from some families. So many parents tell us that they would never speak up about school costs um, that are difficult for them um, or that they can't meet because they don't want to be judged um, they don't want to be lumped into that category of kind of lacking or not being able to provide for their families. And then I think the other risk is missing people. Um, if you think you know what a poor family looks like, um, then are you going to be maybe missing less obvious indicators, you know, given the, the fact that so many people are, are um, potentially facing um, being on a low income for the first time um, you know if you're providing information only to families you think you think you know need it then it might mean support doesn't go to the right places mm -hmm. and it puts the onus okay. on families you know being brave enough to speak up with concerns or for support um, yeah <laughs> I think um, as a as a professional but also as, as a person I am um, I take real issue with the term vulnerable to describe children in our care I think that we have many children in Scotland who are perceived as vulnerable they are at risk of harm that harm could be you know neglect hunger um abuse um, you know, at risk of not achieving at school, at risk of harm from professionals who are working with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that term vulnerability, when we use that, it is such a wide term that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to think how to articulate this, you know, um, you know, the phrase mud sticks, when you start kind of labelling children as vulnerable, mm -hmm. based on your perceived definition of what vulnerability is whether that's poverty or you know um risks at home living situations um learning difficulties you know we kind of we use this umbrella term but when we start to use terms like that then the adults and professionals who are working with children and families they come already with a prejudice they come already with a perception of what what this child is like, what this family is like. And then, you know, it, it just, it becomes really difficult to to see the person mm -hmm. beyond the label. You know, another one that I really, I really loathe, and actually, unfortunately, I hear it a lot in our profession, is, you know, peth kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> James, what do you think here? <laughs> well, we've had this conversation here. before. It's uh, yeah. It's a real, it's a real damaging way of affixing fixed labels to children and families that um, 
as you say, it conjures up images, it conjures up stereotypes and brings prejudice. And, you know, even in terms of the current guidance, you know, I'm talking around about, you know, those children deemed by the guidance to be vulnerable because, you know, you're talking about children first and then what the guidance is talking about separate as opposed to, and it would be similar, you know, a child with additional support needs, not an additional support needs child. It's seeing yeah. mm-hmm. the child or the family first um, and then whatever, you know, category we're looking at later I think is you know that issue of language and semantics is really important and mm-hmm. um, this book is really helping me as a professional really challenge my own unconscious bias towards this mm-hmm. yeah well that was my bugbear for the night <laughs> we know that um, CPAG Scotland have undertaken lots of work in education um, policy and 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 in educating policy makers and schools about the cost of the school day and I know that you've mentioned this briefly before Sarah but can you talk to us about the cost of the school day what 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 is your involvement here um so so cost of the school day um has been running since um 2014 um we we originally at cpag um hosted it in uh, glasgow it was a sort of partnership project um with health and education um in the city um and then um beyond that was sort of developed it nationally um for for other local authorities or, or for, for anyone really <laughs> across Scotland um, and started doing sort of national development work. Um, so it's been brilliant to see the spread of, um, I suppose, the ideas over the last few years. Um, you know, obviously, we've had Scottish att- Attainment Challenge um, uh, running for the, the past the past few years. Um, and um I, th- I think that a really critical thing, um, you know, when thinking about the whole wide, wide range of things that are, are done through through the attainment challenge, um, <clears throat> I think the really critical thing is um, actually, you know, <laughs> are children and young people going to be able to benefit from from these whole wide range of brilliant interventions and brilliant teaching? Are they going to be able to actually benefit from that if they aren't able to equally access all the different parts of the school day? And um, from from the, the original project in Glasgow, when we sort of asked those questions initially, um, you know, the answer quite often is, is just no, um, not really. There are lots of challenges um, throughout the school day for, for children and young people, like right from, you know, getting up in the morning and and looking to put your uniform on to, you know, travelling to school, learning when you're there, going on trips, eating your lunch, um, you know, snack time, break time, um, your friendships, trips, clubs, doing your homework, all of these different things that are different financial um, barriers that can come up for for, um, for families, if for children and young people if if their families are on a low income. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of, um, I suppose, in a nutshell, um, cost of the school day, probably quite a big one. You can tell my, my nutshells aren't very small, but um, <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> if, you were, um, if you were looking at cost of the school day, 
you know, in a single school, um, in, 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 in your school, for example. Um, it's about um, working with your school community to understand right from the start to the end of the school day, what are the things that might cause difficulties if you were coming to school with a bit less money and what can be done about it, what will help. Um, so it's a kind of, it's a whole school um bit of work, um, whole school as in a really thorough review of all policies and practices that could impact on children and also in terms of, of who's involved. Um, it is your your whole school community, it's your, your children and young people, your um, your families and, and all of your staff. Um, it's collaborative and it's, it's really action focused. It's not just doing a survey or getting people's opinions. It's um, following through to action and to, to policy and practice change um, that are all really focused on reducing or, or removing costs that can stand in the way. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I could blather on about it all night, but I won't. Um, there's, if, if it's something that people are want to find out more about them we've got tons of resources on our website and um, we've got the cost of the school day toolkit we've got we've got some really nice um good practice films from um from lots of different schools across scotland so there's just so much good stuff going on um that i think one of our main things is really to try and spread that um so i think we've got there's a really sort of flexible model there lots of things to support it and um yeah, have have a wee look at the website and and give me a shout. Um, anyone who's listening who wants to to ask anything or or have a chat about anything. Yeah, I mean, I in, in, oh, sorry, James. <laughs> no, after you. I was just going to say, you know, in preparation for having this discussion with you, Sarah, I for the first time this year properly sat down and had to think about the things that happen in my classroom that require money and I came up with a list of trips out of school lunch snack milk uniform non-uniform days bring up pounds to wear your own clothes you know when I was writing that down I just thought of the absolute needlessness of it you know the spring fairs the christmas fair bake sales bring 50p and get a cake gym shoes books we talk all the time about reading for enjoyment at home you can't do that if you can't afford the books um something that happens in um in a school that i worked in before was bring a toy friday so on a friday to bring a toy from home um, and then one thing that I think has boomed since COVID-19 is the need for children to have a device. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at that list and thinking that is hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Yep. Hundreds of pounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. There's, when you, yeah, I think when you start looking into it, um, it just starts to, to sort of build up, doesn't it? It just starts to accumulate all of the, the different things and the different expectations. Um, and I think I think it's sometimes, you know, um, occasionally, if I if I ever speak to someone who's not entirely on board with uh, with what 
what I'm talking about, then it can sometimes be about like, all right, well, we just not have any trips or any fun <laughs> events or just have any fun at all. Is that what you want? And, um, and no, it's not. Um, I think there's so many examples of um, being able to keep a really rich and diverse and fun um, sort of a set of things happening in your school, but just doing it in a wee bit of a different way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I live in Edinburgh. There are tens of tens of places you can go on a school trip that literally cost nothing mm-hmm. for children, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, lots, lots, of, um, lots of really small things that can be done to make things just a wee bit easier because I suppose it's that, you know... Do you know that sort of, um, you know, if a letter comes home about, um, you know, whatever, a, a cost for a trip or a non-uniform day or something like that, I suppose it's just getting into that mindset of thinking, okay, so a family who's like really, really struggling, you know, thinking of that, the, the heart sinking moment of the parent who's reading it, and also thinking of the the child or the young person who either knows there's no chance they're going on it um, and, um, you know, has resigned themselves to that, which is a really, you know, not great thing. That's not what we want to see. Um, or or someone, or, or a child is going to be disappointed um, or knows that they're putting pressure on their parents. I think, I think that's a big thing that's always come out um, when we speak to children and young people. It's just... Um, the absolute awareness of family income and mm-hmm. pressures that they might be putting on on their parents and trying to make that not happen. And that can lead to sort of children self-excluding from things, which, um, you know, nobody wants to see, really. So, yeah. There were some great suggestions uh, for those folks that haven't listened to the episode that we recorded with uh, Professor Morag Trainer just around about taking that time for reflection that Anita talked about and using Mm -hmm. the likes of the cost of the school day uh, toolkit and the resources and we'll be sure to uh, link that to the um, to the materials that we share for this podcast because I think it's a really worthwhile opportunity to take that time as Anita said to just reflect and think about in your own practice you know what costs are being incurred in the day-to-day for children and for families and how can you prevent that in terms of so similarly um, if you were going to be organising a trip or an event we would be needing to think about um, the Equality Act and the legislation that sits there to ensure that all children and young people can have access to that and what reasonable adjustments can be made and I think in terms of this work that we're talking about here with with equity with equity and income, we need to take that as a contributing factor to that as well. So what can the reasonable adjustments be made mm-hmm. um, to that? And I know as a head teacher exploring poverty professionally, um, that my own understanding has deepened through engaging with this text and, and through having these conversations. But the understanding changes don't mean anything without impactful change directly for children and for families. Mm-hmm. A more recent um, area of discussion in our book club, um, again inspired by Professor Trainer's book, is that of healthcare. Can you talk to us a little bit about how poverty can have impact on access to healthcare and healthcare outcomes for children and families? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one. Um, you know, 
there are lots of, of sort of health inequalities out there um, that are linked with poverty um, and that's that's both for children and young people um, and for their parents um, and there's that really uh, there's that really um, clear um, social gradient where you know you can see the line sort of directly rising you know po as poverty increases so do poorer health outcomes and that's that's just in almost every way you could imagine um, and I suppose um, we know that children in poverty are far more likely to experience health problems than, than other children um, uh, not in poverty. And, and that's due to lots of the problems that poverty brings. Um, it, particularly mental health is, is one that... Um, is, is one sort of aspect of it that is, is quite prominent. You know, the stresses and the strains and the anxieties of poverty really affecting mental health. Um, I think there's a really sort of interesting thing, um, that theory around health problems being linked with um, a loss of control and agency in your life. Um, so, you know, if you're struggling financially, if you don't feel secure, if you can't plan far ahead, I suppose if you're you're just sort of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, um, then where's your power? Where's your agency? Um, and so actually, I think in that sense, efforts to sort of increase and maximise family incomes um, has an impact all around and, and would have an impact there. Um you know, increasing family incomes is going to reduce the, the, these kind of problems for, for parents and for children and young people. Um, I thought there was something quite interesting, and I can't actually remember who said it, so apologies to whoever that person is. Um, <laughs> I can't remember if it was in a presentation or, or just in passing, but it was um, someone saying, uh, they were talking about access to, to sort of mental health um, support for children and young people, and they were saying... Um, that um, for children and young people um, experiencing those problems, um, poverty was almost the wallpaper to what was going on. It was just something that was there in amongst all the other stuff and that you didn't even really notice it because, you know, of course it was there. Um, and I, I thought that was really, that was, that was really interesting. So people were attending to, you know, the, the most immediate problems that, that, um, mental health problems were, were kind of bringing up, but actually right there in the background, just, um, you know, being there all the time was was poverty, was low income. Um, so there's there's a huge need for, for kind of, um, you know, timely and, um, you know, appropriate access to, to um, mental health support, for example, for children and young people who need it. That's, that's absolutely crucial and, and we know it doesn't happen all the time. Um, but I think I think for me this sort of reminds us that actually preventing poverty and lifting children out of poverty and um, you know changing the wallpaper I suppose is is the really big priority because um, I think increases to family income you know we know they have that protective effect on on children's mental health. As we said before, learning without change can have little impact for families. And we've talked, I suppose, through this podcast and, and in the previous episode with Professor Trainer about the things that 
early years practitioners and early learning and childcare settings and schools can do in order to support children and families. And if you were to give some advice to some education practitioners, Sarah, maybe sort of your top three tips, for example, what are the sort of top three things that education practitioners can do to support children and families experiencing poverty? Oh God, top three. I know. You're narrowing that down on the basis of my long earlier answers, I can tell. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'll be like, point one, A. <laughs> point one, A. <laughs> um, no, I, um, I'll, I'll try and stick to that. Um, I know from you know, I, I know from working with lots of schools, lots of school staff um, over the last few years, there's so much done already to support children and families experiencing poverty. And there's there's loads of schools who are, who are just aware and doing everything they can to, to reduce costs and support families. And, um, you know, that's that's amazing and, and valued by families so much. Um, I think there are a few things that can help um, to, to have in mind. Um, and the first one seems really silly, but it's just know that those families are there, know that those children and families are there. Um, and if you can't see them, that doesn't mean they're not there. Um, in some areas in Scotland or, or some communities, um, uh, you know, families on low incomes are, are really in the minority. So I think remembering that children and families really go to the ends of the earth to hide when things are difficult financially. Um, remembering that, you know, just because it's not obvious doesn't mean it's not there. Um, I think um, I think my second one would be, um, you know, making sure you and and where you can influence your, your colleagues, um, making sure you have a really solid understanding of, of what poverty is. Um, you know, know that at the root of poverty is lack of income and, and all of the other things that you see that are conflated with poverty are often the consequences of just not having enough money. Um, and if that's the case, then I think there are lots of things that teachers and schools can do about lack of income um i think it's you know reducing and removing costs wherever possible so that it's just sort of second nature there's nothing happening in the school without you've thought through the affordability of it and at the same time um schools can help to um maximize incomes as well so that families have more money that you know there's help with free meals there's school clothing grants um education maintenance allowance best start grants so efforts to sign port signpost and support to those um and to to local welfare rights advice can make such a difference um so that's uh, that's quite a big number two there. Um, and number three, I think. Um, I think remember that a really big bit, uh, a really big feature um, in poverty is is kind of shame, is stigma, um, and knowing that there are so many barriers to coming forward. Um, about costs or or and so many barriers to seeking financial information or support um, there are so many barriers there so make that easier where you can um, parents say that visible information 
on financial help, who to talk to if costs are difficult, help that might be available is really useful. Um, and it's really important that that's universal, so it's hitting everyone um, mm -hmm. because, you know, circumstances can change. Um, so, and parents also say that a really open, bold approach to cost of the school day and um, talking about costs and celebrating changes that cut costs, it lets them know that the school is on their side and wants to help. Um, so all of that openness and visibility can kind of help to help to challenge and kind of undercut the stigma that's there. Um, so, yeah, I think I think basically, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in looking at really grim child poverty statistics and think you can't make a difference. But dead small changes um, th that you can make every day in your practice or in policies in your school, um, you know, they make a huge difference to children and families, but actually helping families reduce their outgoings is is a really key way of tackling um, mm -hmm. and reducing child poverty itself. So every every change that you make, everything that you do, you're you're helping to to um, to end child poverty. You did a great job at doing that succinctly there, and I've been avidly <laughs> scribbling trying to think and take those three points for me back to school tomorrow. So thank you for that. James, you get to listen to this again. Why are you taking notes? Oh, because I need to be able to take it in tomorrow. And, you know, I can't wait till Thursday. It's a whole three sleeps away. <laughs> thank you so much for coming along and chatting to James and I. You've come to record with us way after the end of the working day. But I know that our book club participants and our podcast listeners will benefit from this conversation. We really do appreciate your time. Before you go, I want to ask you to do two more things. The first thing is to point us in the direction of finding more about CPAG Scotland. But also, can you talk a little bit about how our listeners can donate to CPAG Scotland? Um, because I know that there will be some of them who would really like to do that. Oh, gosh. OK. Um, so our web address is, she says, frantically typing. Um, our web address <laughs> is... <laughs> Um, you can edit that out. Um, our web address is um, www.cpag.org.uk um, and then um, you'll be able to go forward to um, the Cost of the School Day pages there or indeed to any others um, that, that you would be interested in. Um, and then on, on the front page, it's got details of, of, um, of how to donate if anyone did want to do that. Sarah, thank you so much, Anita. It has been an absolute whirlwind. I'm so glad that we are back with this episode. Remember that you can join in at home by checking out our blogs at www.scottisheducatorsconnect.com or following us on Twitter at scottedconnect. Anita, until next time, see you later on. James, it's been a party. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>